0: We are in the book of Job and we're about to hit a bunch of rocks in a road. Job has been very, very predictable. It is a set story. It's a play. It is set up so that you can have predictable exchanges. It's been rather like a tennis match, but with three different opponents for Job. He'll hit back and forth with one, and then the other one comes, and he'll hit back and forth, and the other one, and then they start again in the same order. It has been predictable, maybe even a little repetitive. And then we, we run into chapters 24 to 31, and it's, it's like running into a rock slide. Everything changes. The order's gone. It will not be reestablished in this book. What, the play happened, what happened to the play was it became unpredictable, and it broke down. We left Job in mid-speech last time, and we've been trying to give you readings ahead of time because this only works if you read ahead of time. You know, if you're not in the Word and understanding some of the flow, it doesn't work real well. And I know that you're, you've got a lot of things. You're, you're going to concerts, you're eating out. You're, but try to carve some time to read these few chapters if you could. Whenever you hit here you realize why we had to stop Job in mid-speech. Because it's going to go on. It's not going to be the volleying back and forth that it was before. And today we're, we're actually going to take a look at the rest of what he had to say, and then the response. A very surprising short response by Bildad. And then we're going to set up the rest of the chapters for you to read And gather because it's important that you actually know these chapters. If you remember from last week, the main theme, Eliphaz says the universe is moral. The universe makes sense. The universe is predictable. Everything that's happening to you could be predicted because everything has a cause and effect we can see. And evil always fails, good always triumphs. And Job shot back a lot of examples of no, <clears throat> the universe is bizarrely random. Now, some of you inside will right now be channeling your your inner Eliphaz Zophar so and Bildad. And so when I say the universe is surprisingly random, you're going to want to go, but but, but God, just back it off. If God doesn't say it, pull back. You don't have to say it to defend God. You can say what God said to defend God, but don't go beyond. Remember, that was the sin in Eden. The snake went beyond. Eve went beyond. No, let's let his words be his words, and he does get his words in, but not yet. That's chapter 38, but don't be running off to chapter 38 just now, because if you don't do the work we have to do here, Chapter 38 is just going to be one of those, oh, God wins, good, let's see the next book. Don't do that. Because there's going to be a time you're going to need these words. There's going to be a time you're going to need these phrasings. I think Grayson showed us the power of words. We need the words in us so that when the right time comes, they can come to us. Well, this section, by the way, that we read last week, all the way up and through 31, to be honest, uh, chapter 20 through 31, it's a really good warning to anybody who doesn't bring their theology all the way to the ground and into the homes where people live. Because if your theology is, well, I read a book this week where the author was going on just effusing about how God wants to live in love with us and fill us with love, and everything the author said was correct. Everything. Couldn't find an issue with it. Wasn't looking for an issue. I don't read that way. I, I, I agreed with everything he had, but my, I kept hearing in my head, what are you saying to the person who's in the ICU right now? How are they feeling what you're saying? How do you bring God's True and wonderful, real love, into the heart of somebody who missed it, or thinks they did. Job is helping us close that gap, but you've got to do the hard work. It's rather like you go into a hospital, you know, you you're, you look about, and so you're you're getting a, Oh, there we are. You're, you had to be there. They're 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 mending your bone. They're setting your arm. And you're just looking around. All this good. This is really cool i like to be a doctor. I can start Tuesday. No. There's a bit of work you got to put in. And to be a grown-up, mature Christian, there's work you've got to put into it. And this is part of it. Can you think of anything less useful to the people of this world than the arguments religious people have? One of the greatest divisions, if not the greatest divisions, of Christians in all of history took place in 1034. When half of the the Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox, split from the Roman Catholic Church over the question of, does the Holy Spirit come from the Father only, or from the Father and the Son? I'll let that sink in for a moment. That created over a thousand years almost a thousand years of angry division and I can't think of anything less interesting to the common person at all. I was working with some people um, we were working with some poor folk um, and that sounds like I was doing I, we were driving by and helping a bit you know the other people do this work every day but we were in Appalachia and I don't want to narrow it any more than this Uh, up a holler in Appalachia talking to a preacher and uh, I went in just to say what part is your church playing in in all of this and the answer, spoiler alert, really not a lot so sitting with the preacher and asking what are you reading and studying just the now Um, and then I had to go say not just the now currently because you, you don't speak what I speak anyway, up in a holler Um, Holler is spelled with an O-W at the end which is wrong, stop it Um, big book, he was so proud big book the authorship of the book of Deuteronomy now, I actually happen to think that's pretty interesting stuff and it is a lot more complicated than people think it absolutely is but I couldn't think of anything he could be studying that was of less help at that time than this. Tried to talk to him about it, but he was was too busy. And again, was I being judgmental? Probably. Probably was. So I didn't walk out of that room guilt-free either. So I'm going to do what I feel like everybody should do whenever they've just confessed that they might not be perfect. I want to talk about a movie. A few years ago, a few years ago, Wonder Woman came out I don't like superhuman movies because physics, but we had people, they wanted to see it, I go see it. I actually enjoyed it because of the theology that was tucked inside. And I've talked to uh, people who, with all my heart sincerity, um, are just really geek way too much about this stuff. They tell me there's theology in all of these movies, and I'm going to take that on their word and not check it out. All right, uh, that's, I'm just going to leave it there. But in the theology of Wonder Woman, I kept, I, I actually got fascinated because she's walking along seeing wounded people. Well, why are these people wounded? Well, we have a war. Why do you have a war? Well, because these people, and her, her question was, why do you let this happen? Why don't you just stop it and not do it? And it reminded me of the, the 60s, the, 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 the hippies would have this thing what if they threw a war and nobody came? of course, all the guys in Vietnam were thinking it wasn't optional. They told us we had to go. But there is this whole idea of, why don't you fix it? And so what's the rest of the movie? She is the God on the ground that fixes it. I, I found that wonderfully fascinating because that's the kind of God all of us want. We want one who will come and fix all of the, not all of the evil, other people's evil that we don't enjoy. And we want that fixed now. But if it's evil in us, we want it understood. And if it's evil we're entertained by, we'd like God to cut him a bit of slack. There's no way God can please us. Maybe we should try to find a way to please him. I really think that's where we are. Let's start with Job chapter 24 We're just, we're flying by here. Uh, Why does the Almighty not set times for judgment? Why must those who know him look in vain for such days? There are those who move boundary stones. They're stealing land that way. They pasture flocks. They have stolen They drive away the orphan's donkey and take the the widow's ox in pledge. They thrust the needy from the path and force all the poor of the land into hiding. Lacking clothes, they go about naked. They carry the sheaves, but they go hungry. That's, That's what a picture. They're the ones doing the work to make sure food goes, but it doesn't go to them. The groans of the dying rise from the city, and the souls of the wounded cry out for help. But God charges no one with wrongdoing. That's what it looks like. Correct? And again, don't channel your inner Zophar here and go, but, 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 yes, we all know God will sort it in the end. I truly believe that. And I believe he'll sort it with such wisdom that our jaws, if we still had them in heaven, would drop. But we live here what are you going to say to the person in pain across the street right now? How do we get them through Sunday and then help them through Monday? That's the big issue. Job then changes tone. And we really have to deal with this, so let's just deal with it. He changes tone, starting that same chapter, verses 18 through 25, when he says, I know God will sort it out one day, but in those verses, there is zero hope for now. It is a faith without any joy. It is hope without any expectation of relief. And Job 24, 18 through 25 is such a starkly, well, it's, a, it's just a stark change of tone, that there are some scholars who say, maybe Job is, is using their arguments with saying them sarcastically. I, I don't think so, but could be. We just need to know, when this stuff was all written down, it wasn't written down with, now Bildad comes in, now Zophar. That was added by all of the scholars, and they're good at this. And the rabbis and the Jewish people, who this is their story. And so I trust the divisions, but the divisions stop at this point because it is what do we do now? Who is speaking? It's a crush. Now, Bildad does come in, and I know you've been missing him. We all need a bit of Bildad, he said, lying. But when he comes in, it's really short. Is it, that's not Bildad ish. He comes in, chapter 25, 1 through 6, and that's the whole chapter. Bildad the Shuhite replied, Dominion and all belong to God. He establishes order in the heights of the heaven. Can his forces be numbered? On whom does his light not rise? How then can a mortal be righteous before God? How can one born of woman be pure? If even the moon is not bright and the stars are not pure in his eyes, how much less a mortal? who's but a maggot, a human being, who's only a worm. You know, I was was tracking with Bildad there for a while. I got off that bus. Did you get off the bus? You should have gotten off the bus. And let's explain the why. I appreciate Bildad wanting to elevate God to the highest of all heights and give him glory even in the dark, honor him even in the storms. That's commendable. We all should do that. But here is a very important thing to consider. Elevating God does not require or warrant a devaluing of a human being ever. It doesn't. I saw a tweet from a religious leader that many of you would know the names. He's not of our tribe, but very well-known The tweet just said, the reason people don't like the Bible is that it condemns their sins. I'm going, how helpful was that? You know, you've got sinners reading Twitter, and they're going, ooh, thanks for the heads up. We won't be checking that out then. (laughs) Some people don't like the Bible because it's confusing, and it's not in order, and some people don't like the Bible because the way it was taught to them. It might be more complicated. We don't need to devalue people. To raise God. I can. Uh, Jay Adams. Back in the counseling craze of the, of the 80's. Christian counseling craze. He was really the godfather of it. And his no the, noetic. Uh, noetic no counseling. Which meant always theistically centered. He said one of the, his prime tenets. Was all. Mental health issues. Begin because of sin. And I'm going. Nope. No, some are chemical. Some are accident, head injuries, the like. Some are situational. Some are other people's sin, but they didn't show up for counseling, so that's not going to help. We're going to have to find another. Again, we don't need it to devalue human. There's that old hymn, which we changed in our hymn books, At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. You know that song? And there's a line in there, Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Almost all books now have changed that to such a one as I, as they should, because God's never called you a worm. I brought it up, I was 11 years old when I brought it up to a Bible teacher on Sunday. I was, this, a bit of a shock, I wasn't the easiest kid to teach. I, I don't know, I think we just needed higher quality teachers. The problem could not have been mine. Uh, at 11, and I was saying, but we, we sang, we're a worm, are we supposed to think of ourselves as a worm? Well, the teacher knew their Bible and I really am impressed by that. They, they went in the Psalms and they showed where uh, David called himself a worm. And I said, but David called himself a worm. God didn't call him a worm. And God never called any of us worms. He called us sons and daughters. Let's not do that. Don't raise God up so high by shoving others down. That's not what he did. We don't need to do that, Bill, Dad. So, elevate God while you elevate those made in his image. You know, I have, um, and many of you, have taken some hits because at Fourth Avenue, we value the voice and the wisdom of women equal to that as of men. And in fact, on this stage today, I think Grayson probably you know, would have outraced me on that one. And I and and we're happy about that and we love it. And I'll get people say, thank you so much for elevating. I didn't elevate anybody. All I did was quit devaluing people God had already elevated. We've got to understand it's not up to us to raise or lower. God has established who you are. You are a child of God, an intentional creation. No matter your color, no matter your background, no matter your gender, you are God's child. And if we don't treat you that way, it doesn't help us help you then if we instead spend all the time elevating God without explaining, and you were made by him and dearly loved by him. And he is walking with you through the storm. Chapters 26 through 31 have given theologians fits. Here's why. Again, it doesn't mark who said what. And it seems to be a jumble. There are, uh, in fact, four theories that are fought by people who fight about these things. One, the group broke up. And so what we're seeing is chaos in Job's mind. All of these, by the way, I, I think all of them are good. So I'm not trying to pick a winner. I have argued all eight sides of one problem through the night, haven't you? And so I can understand. The group's away, and all of these contrary things are, are banging about in Job's brain. Two, the group is grown. So now we don't even have named contestants. <laughs> and so it's just being shouted back and forth, and we don't know whose voice is doing what. Or the group is coming and going which is very similar to that one. And these are the editor's notes to be made into the rest of the play later. Now, I want to say something about that. Some people, are you saying it's incomplete? Um, Please remember that they didn't write like we write and they didn't preserve like we preserve and they had different notions about writing to the point where Jeremiah, Jeremiah would be a great example. Jeremiah is not in order at all. If you want to read Jeremiah in order where it makes sense, you've got to go to a commentary or find a list of, you read this, then you go this, this. Why? The main theory is that when it was taken by Baruch to save the manuscript, the scripture says it he dropped it. They had to reassemble it in, in a cave. They were putting it back together. The original one had been burned by the king. And the Jewish people say when it was put together, we kept whatever order it came to us in, We never rearranged it." Well, you and I would rearrange it. Well, we're not Jews of, you know, 3,000 years ago. They had different rules. So, when we look at this, it could be editor's notes, or it could be, the last one, a digest version of arguments that were going on at the time. And that one sounds pretty likely as well. All we know is that the original group has gone silent, or they're no longer credited. Maybe they're speaking past each other so fast that it's confusing. Like 24-7 news channels. Don't. Just just go away. <laughs> you don't need to listen to that. It's, they'll never let you hear a sentence anyway. So you might as well not even get it started. It is very worth your time, however, to read chapters 26-31. through 31. And keep in mind... That these are men talking about God. This is not God talking about men. This is men talking about God from our perspective. And it will help you in a couple of major ways. And then a whole bunch of others. One, it'll help you have words when you are confused and in pain. Because when you're confused and in pain, you don't have words unless they're already in. So, get these words in. Two... It'll help you understand the words of others who are in pain. And our job is to draw alongside them and love them. Not to tell them, oh, hush, God will sort it out. No, no, no. Read. Even their erroneous assumptions about God. Because they'll say things about God. We'll say, no, I don't think so. Read the words. Hear the words. A few high points. Uh, Job 26 7 through 14, he spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing, which, by the way, we're going to talk some later in a series about the science in this book, which is really surprising if you know where to look. This is the first time in human history anybody said the earth was on nothing. This was written in Mesopotamia. And in Mesopotamia, they had a theory of what supported the earth. The earth, scientific consensus was on the back of a turtle that, not yet, that was swimming in a bowl of milk. I'm good. That's great. I don't see any need to investigate further. But, how in the world they knew it was over nothing? Well, there are hints of God's breathing in here. He wraps up the waters in his cloud. First time in human history that water and clouds are understood to be part of the same phenomena. Yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. He covers the face of the full moon, spreading his clouds over it. He marks out the horizon on the faces of the water for a boundary between light and darkness. Uh, That would be a concept of a round earth there, by the way, people. The pillars of the heavens quake, aghast at his rebuke. By his power, he churned up the sea. By his wisdom, he cut Rahab to pieces. But We'll talk about that. By his breath, the skies became fair. His hair pierced, hand pierced the gliding serpent. And these are just for the outer fringes of his work. How faint the whisper we hear of him. What a, what a phrase. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? I, uh, that last verse, I love that verse. That's an amazing verse. You need to have that verse in you. What, he, what is Job talking about with Rahab and gliding serpent? This was a Mesopotamian way of saying God killed the other demons. God shut down the other gods. He alone is God. Then chapter 27, it sounds like Job's drawn a line in the sand. Let's look at this. Five and six. I will never admit you are in the right till I die. I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my innocence and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. And then, he, um, he starts talking like one of his friends. And it is a little confusing. He talks about how God deals with evil again and again and again. And he's looking for patterns to find that faint whisper to make some sort of sense in his life. Please read chapter 27. No chapter 27. One such picture is the east wind. Um, The east wind carries him off, and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place. This is man. It hurls itself against him without mercy. As he flees headlong from its power, it claps its hands in derision and hisses him out of his place. The east wind was the wind off of the desert. had no break from what we today would call the Republic of Georgia, off the Caucasus all the way through the Middle East toward the Mediterranean, and it would scour human beings. He says, I, we, are, we just get wiped away. And then chapter 28 sounds like Solomon, search for wisdom, search for wisdom. Just one verse here, uh, Job 28, 28. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. The word fear there has so many more meanings than we attribute to it in English. Um, and in English, I think we really can't use another word. Your respect is good. Honor is good. But I think it's more of a concept. Always keep the existence of God in mind. Because the existence of God always matters no matter what's going on. Period. That's really what fear of the Lord means. Keep it in mind. As Alexander Campbell, who preached here back in 1833, said, If there is no God, nothing matters. If there is a God... Nothing else matters. That's the fear of the Lord. Chapter 29 and 30 are a recap of Job's story from his viewpoint. And I find it fascinating because he doesn't know chapter 1 or 2. So he's telling the same story we get in 1 and 2, but from his viewpoint out of ignorance and pain. And it might give you pause to read this and think of the times in your story When we, us poor earthbound creatures in the storm who don't know the whole story, turn on God without thinking that there might be more to the story than we're seeing. Mark, could you bring your team on up? Next week, a new character appears and he's got a lot to say. But, and he's a young guy, so he's got the stamina. He's going to go on a bit. But remember this, God doesn't consider his friends or Job to be worms. They're not chess pieces to be moved in a game between God and Satan. We are earthbound creatures, but we are made in the image of God. And while God does not move at the speed we wish, nor does he come when we call him like a pet, he is still God. And it is not his greatest desire in life to make sure that we have An easy day. He is there, desirous of us being good. Would you stand, please? God is alive. God is on the move. He does not have to tell us his timing or his route, but he wants us to be good. And if you've ever, by mistake, chewed a vitamin pill, you know what is good for you can taste terrible. In fact, several vegetables, which are good for you, can taste terrible because they're good for you. We aren't good at judging what is good for us. We have to, in faith, follow the God who will make us good. Walk with glory.